uh, verse 32, we're seeing the chief priests and the Pharisees, okay? If you were reading the ESV, it's going to say, uh, let me find it real quick. It's going to say that the, yeah, it says the same thing. The chief priests and the Pharisees sent officers, okay? First of all, the chief priests, that's plural, not just one. There was one chief priest or a high priest. That doesn't, chief priest doesn't mean he was the high priest. Chief priest means that they were the ones in charge in the Sanhedrin, okay? So when it says the chief priests and the Pharisees, what you have is the Jerusalem Sanhedrin coming to the people, sending, uh, they call them officers, okay? Or uh, I believe one translation calls them uh, temple guards, temple police, okay? And these temple guards and temple police were drawn out of the tribe of Levi, the priestly tribe, and they were set to guard the temple mostly and to keep uh, uh, peace inside the temple so there wasn't a bunch of commotion, right? So they kind of kept the peace in the temple. And eventually that kind of uh, got outside of the temple and they kind of were in charge of all kinds of things that they technically didn't really, weren't supposed to be in charge of, okay? But this is who these officers are the pharisees the sanhedrin the jews as john calls them over and over that's who this is okay it's the sanhedrin the people who opposed christ the people who were openly opposing christ the people that were putting people out of synagogues for believing in christ remember we talked about that and uh, i think it's john 12 where we read that, where we went, at, we read ahead and saw that that's what was happening then. They were putting them out of the synagogue if they openly professed to believe in Christ. So they're, now they're using their muscle of the temple to push Jesus or to try to uh, set Jesus up, try to arrest him. Why would they want to arrest him? So they could level false charges against him, which is what they end up doing, right? And I want to show you at the end of this that the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin might be instrumental in people not knowing that Jesus was from Bethlehem, okay? Let's go to verse 33. Then Jesus said to them, yet a little while I am with you. And then I go unto him who has sent me. Uh, number one, this for the disciples is comforting, okay? Number one, this statement has is twofold. He's talking to his disciples, and he's talking to those who are not his disciples and don't believe in him, okay? But to his disciples, it would be comfort to say, okay, we have the Lord for a little while longer. And later on, he comforts them, even though he's going away, he's telling them, I, I'm going away, but it's for your benefit that I go away. If I don't go away, I can't send the Spirit. Amen? The Comforter, the Teacher, who leads you and guides you into all truth, who will take, what of, take from what is mine and give it unto you. Right? That Spirit. He said, if I go, it's for your benefit that I go away. Right? 
So this is encouraging. Even the fact that he's going away should encourage those who truly believe that he's the Christ and truly understand what he's been teaching them. It should encourage them. Number one, it should encourage them that they have a little longer with this master at the table with them. Remember when they asked the Pharisees tried to set Jesus up? Well, how come your disciples, uh, they don't fast? Or it's John the Baptist's disciples, wasn't it? Why, does it why, do your, why do you and your disciples not fast? He said, they're not going to fast while the bridegroom's here. But when the bridegroom goes away, then they'll fast. Right? Why? Because while he's there, he's blessing them. He's teaching them. He's instructing them. He's taking the word of God. And if you read John 17, where Jesus is praying, he says, I have taken your word and given it to them. That was his purpose of being here. Amen? To give them the word of God, the gospel, the good news. Verse uh, 33 again, but for the Pharisees, for the Sanhedrin, for those who opposed him, this could be a promise of reprieve. Look, you only have to put up with me for a little while longer. But trust me, when I go away, you'll wish that I was still here. And that made me think of a verse immediately where Jesus, or, or where, where, uh, I can't remember where it's at in the Old Testament where he says to seek the Lord while he may be found. Amen. Jesus was telling them, I'm here a little while longer. And that should have opened their eyes said, look, you only got a little time longer to, to come to understand who I am and what I'm about. Amen. Verse 34. You shall seek me. And you shall not find me. And where I am, thither ye cannot come. Now this is a statement that he reiterates to his disciples in chapter 13. But then in chapter 14 tells them, look, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. That where I am, there you might be also. So there is a point at time where his disciples, those who believed in him, would be able to go where he is. But this statement of why you, uh, you, you're going to seek me and not be able to find me and where I'm going, you can't go. This statement is emphatically teaching that without faith in Christ, you'll not get where he is. And he was telling them that they were in danger, that when he left, they're going to seek in vain and they will wish that the Son of Man was still among them. To be found. I have a note here. He says you will seek me. And you will find me not. Turn with me to Isaiah 55. We're going to. Make a few stops. Through a few verses on this idea. of You shall seek me. And not find me. Okay. There, this isn't some. Uh, thing that. Never had been said before. As a matter of fact scripture constantly was saying this in the Old Testament and the New Testament. We're going to go to Isaiah 55, verse 6 and 7. He says, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. 
Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1 verse 24. Because I have called and ye refused, I have stretched out my hand and no man regarded. But ye have set at naught all my counsel and would have none of my reproof. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when, you're, when your fear cometh. When your fear cometh as desolation and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind, when distress and anguish cometh upon you, then shall ye call on me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but shall not find me. For they that hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, they would none of my, they would none of my counsel. They despised all my reproofs. Therefore shall they eat the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices. Wow, what a solemn warning. Amen. Can we say that the same God yesterday, today, and forever? This is emphatically, Jesus has to be alluding to these verses. There's no way around it. Jesus is, 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 is quoting and referring to this understanding that you must seek the Lord while he may be found. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the time of choosing. Amen. Seek him. While he may be found. Turn with me to Hosea chapter 5. If you ask me where Hosea is, I'll laugh, okay? Because I have to find it every time too, okay? It's right after Daniel. That helps. <laughs> Hosea chapter 5, and we're going to read verse 6. They shall go with their flocks and with their herds to seek the Lord, but they shall not find him. He hath withdrawn himself from them. Surely this is what Jesus is alluding to when he's making the statement, you shall seek me and you'll not find me. But like Nicodemus, he's bl they're blind to the law. They don't understand the prophecies. They don't get. They don't get it. That when he's saying, I'm going away, he's saying, I'm withdrawing myself from you. And it could very well be alluding to the great day of judgment. Where all men who rejected Christ and all men who refused to come to Christ and all those who refused the sacrifice of Christ at that time when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, they will want to seek him but will not be able to. They will want to obtain but they will not be able to get eternal life. They will want reprieve but reprieve will not be found because he has withdrawn himself 
from them. We can go to John 8. John 8, verse 21. Jesus quoted saying very similar words that he does here in chapter 7. He says, and then said Jesus unto them, I go my way and you shall seek me and shall die in your sins. Whether I go, ye cannot come. It's a very important statement Jesus is making here. That they're going to die in their sins. What does that mean? That means grace and mercy have been withheld from them. And they will die in their sins because they would not seek the Lord. When he was near, when he could be found, when he was right in front of them. Amen? Verse 24 says very similar words. You just skip down to verse 24. I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins. For if ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. Can you see that? You can't get any more clear than that. How are they dying in their sins? They're dying in their sins because they will not believe. Amen? What did we read in Proverbs? He said, because you have not believed, because you didn't hearken unto my knowledge. Amen? I've withdrawn myself from you. Why? Because you will not believe. Chapter 13, verse 33. Jesus says very similar words, only not talking about dying in their sins. But he does tell them that his disciples, this is to his disciples, verse 33 of chapter 13. <clears throat> he says, little children, yet a little while I am with you. Ye shall seek me, and as I said to the Jews, whither I go, ye cannot come so now I say to you, a new commandment I give to you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if ye have love one for another. And we know the story. Peter says, no, Lord, I'll follow you anywhere. Why can't we come where you're at? That's a good question. Why could they not go, even the disciples? Why is he telling the disciples, hey, you can't come where I am. Why? The quick answer is that the work of redemption had not been accomplished yet. Amen? He had not been crucified. Atonement hadn't been paid. Number two, he hadn't been raised from the dead. Number three, he hadn't ascended unto the Father. Number four, he had not sent the Holy Spirit Amen. There were several things that had to happen before he could even make a promise that they would come and be where he is. That's why chapter 14 is so important. When you get to chapter 14, 1, 
you understand that now he's saying, look, you believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. Why couldn't they go where he was going right now? Because he had not finished his work, he had not gone back to the father, and he had not prepared a place for them. They could not follow yet. They had to wait. Amen? This speaks two things. Number one, God's plans never fail. And God is going to finish the whole work. God finished the work of redemption from start to finish. And Jesus said, it's finished. Notice that everything that we're talking about so far has happened before he said, it is finished. Can I get an amen on that? So he could not, they could not come. Even his disciples could not go where he was going yet. Because he had to go to the cross. He had to finish the work before that promise could be made. And in John 14, he's telling them, I'm going away. To prepare a place for you. So this is talking about after the crucifixion. After the resurrection. In the ascension. What he's doing. And then he makes some wait in Jerusalem. For the promise of the Holy Spirit. Right? Why? Because they had work they had to do. Amen? God's plan is not stopped. That should give you comfort. In a verse that says, he that began a good work in you is faithful to complete the work because God never fails. Amen. Where I'm going, you cannot go. Verse 35. Let me get back there. Verse 35, he says, then said the Jews among themselves, whither will he go that we will not find him? Will he Go unto the dispersion among the Gentiles and teach the Gentiles. What manner of saying is this that he said? Ye shall seek me and shall not find me. And where I am, thither you cannot go. What is he talking about? The only, the, these, the, the Pharisees and the chief priests are obviously only thinking carnally. The, the crowd is thinking very carnally. And it's obvious that they did not know where he was going, and they did not know the way. But the disciples, to what, in, in, in another seven chapters, Jesus tells the disciples, Whither I go, ye know, and the way, ye know. And Thomas is just as baffled as these people and says, Lord, we don't know whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So where is he going? He, whither is he going? To the Father. And how do I get there? Through the Son. This is the way. Matter of fact, there was a point in Christian history in the early church that they called them people of the way. Verse 36, or 37, excuse me. In the last day, the, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me. 
I want to read a verse from the Reformation Heritage Study Bible. It gives a little bit of clarity here. He says, if any man thirsts, let him come, to me, come unto me. Christ takes up the role of divine wisdom in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 20 and 23, which we've already read. Amen? We understand that Jesus is that wisdom. We understand that that. They need to seek the wisdom of God. What, can somebody tell me what, what, when you read a book, like when, when, you're, when you're really well read, what people call you wise, right? Like he's got a lot of knowledge, right? He's got a lot of wisdom. What is a book? It's full of words. Do you understand that the wisdom of God came from the word of God and the word of God is Christ. So every time in Proverbs that it's talking about hearkening unto wisdom, it's hearkening unto the word of God, unto Christ. Christ is the wisdom of God. Christ is the word of God. Amen. Want to read a little more. To give a glorious gospel invitation to all who hear him. Out of their belly, inward parts, an idiom of, for the mind or the heart or the soul. Rivers of living water would flow. The ceremonies of the Feast of Tabernacles included the pouring out of water to celebrate God's provision of water in the wilderness. Christ uses this as a picture of the life giving power of the Holy Spirit flowing to and through all united to him by faith as promised in the scriptures okay notice that this is this the verse 37 says and into 38 in the last day the great day of the feast Jesus stood up and cried and said if any man thirsts let him come unto me and drink he that believeth on me as the scriptures saith out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. And then John gives you a commentary verse to explain this. But this spake he of the spirit which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given because that Jesus was not yet glorified. Now, Jesus' glorification is not just his atoning work on the cross, okay? That is part of it because that's what constitutes him being worthy of all glory, honor, and praise, amen? But his glorification, quite simply, in theological understanding, Jesus' work on the cross is his, is his uh, 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 excuse, the atoning work, Right? It's his sacrifice that's being made. When he's raised from the dead, that's his resurrection. When he's glorified, we call his glorification, all encompasses from the cross to the resurrection to the ascension of Christ to the right hand of God the Father. That's his glorification. Amen? 
He's glorified with the glory that he had with the Father before the worlds began. Amen? What glory is that? The glory that he had with the Father. And only until he goes back to where the Father is, is he in that identical, unique glory again. Amen? That's what he's saying. Okay? Jesus was not yet glorified. The Holy Ghost was not sent. I want to deal with this for a minute because that some people misunderstand this to say that the Holy Ghost was not in operation in the Old Testament, which is ridiculous. Okay, first of all, Genesis one verse two, and the Spirit of the Lord moved on the face of the waters. Amen. The Holy Spirit was integral in the the, the creation process. Amen. That all three of the Godhead were involved in all aspects of creation. Can I get an amen? Once we understand and remember the old prophets who the Holy Spirit moved upon. Who the Holy Spirit was resting upon. Amen. I want to read a little note here. Uh, I wrote one down. Let me find it real quick. Uh, Joe Beakey says the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in his fullness did not occur until Jesus had finished his work of redemption and ascended to his throne in heaven. Now, the ESV study Bible has a note, and I would be, it would be foolish of me not to read it because it was pretty thorough. It says, as yet the Spirit had not been given, does not mean that there was no work of the Holy Spirit in the world prior to Jesus' resurrection. For already in Genesis 1-2, the Holy Spirit was present in the world, hovering over the face of the waters. Also, some of the Old Testament verses uh, even speak of the Holy Spirit of God at work within believers prior to the coming of Christ. You can look in Numbers 27.18, Deuteronomy 34.9, Ezekiel 2.2, Ezekiel 3.24, Daniel 4.8-9, Daniel uh, 4.18, Daniel 5.11. I don't need to keep reading. These verses must therefore mean that the Spirit had not been given in the full and powerful sense that was promised for the new covenant age. So there was the Holy Spirit was at work in the old covenant, not in exactly the same way, the exactly same strength and fullness that he is at work now, but he was at work in the world. Amen. Now, that being said, we saw grace and mercy in the Old Testament, but it was covered and it was veiled by the law and by other means. And in the New Testament, you could say that grace and mercy have come to their fullness as well. Amen. So those attributes of God were less uh, 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 obvious in the Old Testament, but they're much more obvious today, right? So it isn't as if the Holy Ghost just wasn't even present, right? I would also venture to say if anybody ever got to heaven in the Old Testament, they needed the Holy Ghost then too. Okay, no one ever went to heaven without faith, and no one can have faith without God giving them faith, and no one can believe in God without the Spirit giving them the strength. Come on, there's no way. No man can come and believe except the Father draws him. Amen. 
And that, didn't, that, didn't, that wasn't some new thing in the New Testament. God worked faith into people even then. Amen? No one just automatically believed God, okay? It's not how it worked. God moved on the hearts of men and women even in the Old Testament. It's obvious that he did. Amen? Let's keep going. I don't want to get lost right there. Verse 40. Many of the people, uh, when they heard, therefore, when they heard these things, said, of a truth, this is the prophet. What do they mean? This is the prophet. Well, if you remember our talk uh, before on that prophet that's likened unto Moses, okay? You can go to Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15 through 18, and you can see the prophet the prophet that's likened unto Moses. And in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 3, I believe, talks about this idea of Jesus being the prophet that's greater than Moses. Amen? We understand this, and we know that Jesus is that prophet. Okay? He is the prophet. Remember when they went to John the Baptist in the wilderness? They asked him the same question. Are you that prophet? Who's that prophet? That prophet that's likened unto Moses. That prophet. Now here, they try to make a distinction between that prophet and the Messiah or the Christ. But there's no difference between the two people. The Christ is that prophet that's likened unto Moses. The Christ is that person. Jesus is that prophet and he is the Messiah, okay? Notice how they make this distinction. They say, art thou that prophet? Others said, this is the Christ, okay? There's no difference between those two people. Now, in some small circles in, in Judea, uh, or in uh, Jewish culture, uh, in antiquity, they did place a difference between that prophet and the Christ, but that was a marginal difference, and they, that, that, that thought process was a very small portion of Jewish thought, okay? The reality is that prophet and the Christ are the same person, okay? Hebrews tells us that he is that prophet, and John tells us that he is the Christ. So, since we know that John says he's the Christ, and the book of Hebrews says he is that prophet, then we must conclude that Jesus is both one and the same, the Christ and that prophet. Amen? We'll clear up the confusion, if, if that's what I helped you with right there. If I confused you even more, I'm sorry. <laughs> he says, uh, others said, is this the Christ? But some said, shall the Christ come out of Galilee. Now, first, this is the first mention right here in this chapter that we have of him oh, from being from Galilee. And earlier they asked if anything came from Nazareth, right? So, or I guess this is the second time it's mentioned in here. But now we have a, a, the second time that it's mentioned where they're asking is, is does, the prophet, does the Christ come from Galilee? Now, where does this thought come from, Okay. Why are they asking that question? 
I think the answer is later on at the end of this chapter. You're going to see it with me, and I'm going to hopefully point it out to you if you've never seen it before. I'm going to show you that I believe the Pharisees were the ones trying to hide the fact that he was born in Bethlehem and to just say, oh, he's from Nazareth. He's from Galilee. He can't be the Christ. Can't be. Okay? Why would they do that, Kevin? They were threatened by his authority, by the way he taught. It threatened their authority. And why else would you send officers, temple police, to go arrest him? Okay? Let's keep reading. I don't want to get ahead of myself. He hath not, uh, hath not the scriptures said, Christ cometh by the seed of David and out of the town of Bethlehem where David was. Now watch this, verse 43. So there was division among the people because of him. Now, this division among the people because of him was because they lacked information. If they would have known that he was born in Bethlehem, it would have changed the entire conversation. Okay? Had they known that he was born in Bethlehem, it would have changed the entire conversation. Now I'll say this. Because they're in Jerusalem, and he was born in a very small town of Bethlehem, and then lived in a small town of Nazareth, it could be very easy that they don't know public information that they didn't know where he was from. That can be the case. Okay? Now, with that being said, because we're living in a Roman society, very easily the chief priests and the Pharisees could have went to the king and said, hey, we need to know if this man was ever on, on your census and where he was born. They could have found that information very easily. They would have, it, all it would have took was a quick inquiry to the census of Rome to say, hey, we need to check some census for the last, you know, 20, 30 years. Was this man ever, where was he born at, right? And the Roman census would have told them that. How do we know that? Because the Bible says that when Jesus was in his mother's womb, that the, the Caesar required a census. And Joseph and Mary only made the trip to Bethlehem because of the census. And in the census, you didn't stay in the town you were living in. You went to the town you were born in. So Joseph was born in Bethlehem. So Joseph went back to Bethlehem. And Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And the census would have recorded that. They had the information. You know the Pharisees could have found that out. And they very well may have known it. Lastly, verse uh, 44, and some of them would have taken him, but no man laid hands on him. Now this, some of them would have taken him, in the ESV I believe it says they would have arrested him. Okay, let me go and make sure that's what they say in verse 44. Some of them wanted to arrest him, and I put a question mark. Who are these some of them that wanted to arrest him? Well, obviously it's going to be the uh Officers that were sent by the Sanhedrin to arrest him. 
So why didn't they? Right? That's the question. The question is, why didn't they arrest him? Right? That was immediately my thought. Okay, so if this is the, the, the Sanhedrin's police, why didn't they arrest him? Okay? Watch what it says. Verse 44, it says, And some of them would have taken him, but no man laid hands on him. Now watch this. Then came the officers to the chief priests and Pharisees, and they said unto him, Why have you not brought him? In other words, why didn't you arrest Jesus? <coughs> Watch what they respond with. Never has a man spoke like this. Never. Why didn't they arrest him? Because when these temple police got into the presence of God Almighty, when they got in the presence of wisdom, when Jesus spoke as one with authority, one who was from God, he spoke in such a way that these men who came to arrest him were left astonished at what they heard. How do I know that they would have done that? First of all, these are Levites, okay, from the tribe of Levi, who were the priests of Israel. They would have known the law and the prophets. And when Jesus speaks these words, that if any man would come and drink, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water, as the scriptures have said. These men were probably cut to their heart and were probably with the rest of the crowd going, Is he that prophet? Is he the Messiah? I'm supposed to arrest him. I'm That's what I'm here for. Now, we also know that they didn't lay hands on him because his time was not yet come. Now that would speak back to where he said, yet a little while and I'm with you and then I'm going to go away to him who has sent me. We also must understand that six months after this conversation, Jesus is crucified. Six months after this conversation, Jesus is crucified. This is another way how Jesus is trying to tell them what he's coming to do. His glorification will not happen until he goes to Jerusalem. Remember, he already started teaching them that he had to go to Jerusalem. The Son of Man must suffer many things. The hands of evil men, right? Be, be murdered and buried three days, yet he'll rise again, right? This is things he's already teaching his disciples. If there's only six months left, he's already been preaching for three years. You understand that? If there's only six months left, he's already been preaching for three years. He's already been with his disciples for three years. This is why reading the book of John is so much different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Because John doesn't give you a chronological time frame. Okay, he jumps. He, 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 you start out in year one and then you jump all the way to year one and a half. And then you jump all the way to year three. Okay? You're not getting detailed week by week, month by month things that are going on. You're getting huge gaps in this story. Why? Because John didn't write a chronological 
every aspect of what Jesus ever taught and said. He even says that, right? He said, there's so much more Jesus did and said that if you were to write it down, all the books in the world couldn't be, you know, we couldn't have enough books in the world. Almost done. What time is it? Okay. This is why. Because Jesus John wrote just so that you would know that he's the Christ. He wrote the things down that were necessary for you to know that he was the Christ. That's what he did. Amen? Last, let's hurry up through this because Carmen already came out and gave me my five-minute warning here. Uh, they answered and said, no one spoke like this. And they answered them, the Pharisees, are you deceived? And I would add, as well, are you deceived also? I think the ESV says. Have you also been deceived? Right? Have you also been deceived? So now the Pharisees are like, oh my goodness, we sent these guys out there to go arrest him, and now they come back and they're believing in him. What in the world? Now watch what they ask. They try to trick them. They're like, have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed on him? They ask him this question. Have any of the rulers or the Pharisees believed on Christ? The answer is yes. The answer is emphatically yes. Nicodemus is already moving that way. In, in uh, chapter, what is it? Chapter 12. Let me look at this. Uh, da -da -da -da. What verse are we on? Uh, have the Sanhedrin believed on him? Yes, Nicodemus seems to be heading that way. And later, he and Joseph of Arimathea are the ones who take Jesus' body to be buried. Okay? You find that in John 19. Later, in chapter 12, you see that other leaders of the Jews believed on him. But for fear, they would not say it openly. So yes, the answer is yes, other leaders, the Sanhedrin, some of the chief priests and Pharisees did believe in Jesus. But he, they're asking this question, and they're not really asking it, they're trying to make a statement. We don't believe in him, but in reality, even their own company is divided. How do I know that? The very next verse. Watch this. He says, verse 49 says, but this people who knoweth not the law are cursed or they're deceived. The people are deceived because they just don't know the scriptures well enough. Well, enters Nicodemus, the teacher of Israel, the master of Israel is what the King James says, the master of Israel. The ESV says the teacher of Israel, right? And the teacher of Israel steps up and says, Doth our law judge any man before it hears him and knoweth what he doeth? And this is an important question because many Old Testament scriptures were coming into play in Nicodemus's mind. Leviticus 19.15, Deuteronomy 1.16, Deuteronomy 16.18, where they're told to judge righteously, to judge justly, to do justice with their neighbor. They're not to do, not to use false accusations, but to have fair and just hearings, fair, de deal justly and fairly with their neighbor. And Nicodemus knows the law, so Nicodemus chimes in with the law. 
and says, hey, does our law prevent this? What do they say? Are you from Galilee too? They went back to him. Now they're accusing Nicodemus of being from Galilee. Now they're saying, are you from Galilee too? Look in the scriptures. Does anyone, does a prophet ever come from Galilee? Why are they saying this? Why are they hounding on this subject here? I think it's because they're the ones that are perpetrating the lie that Jesus wasn't born in Bethlehem, that he's from Nazareth and not from Bethlehem, therefore could not be the Christ, the Messiah. I think the evidence is plainly in our face that Nicodemus says we need to hear what he says and we need to judge rightly, but they're saying, oh no, he's from Galilee, and are you from Galilee too? Uh, it, it almost seems like a mobster, te- uh, a, a mobster technique where they're trying to say, look, we'll just pretend like you're from Galilee too and we'll get rid of you. You want to join him? Sure seems to be what's going on. So we have all this questioning of who Jesus is and where he come from. And the reality is most of the people that are listening are missing the questions that he's asking them. They're missing an invitation to believe on him. Jesus said, will you come to the wells of eternal life and be satisfied? Will you heed wholeheartedly the words of of eternal life and believe in this Christ, the Messiah, this prophet, who's like Moses, who's greater than Moses. Would you seek the Lord while he may be found? That's what he's telling them. Has to be his motive for telling them, you will seek me and you will not find me. I find it totally inconceivable that people in that crowd would have not thought about that verse. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Search him out while he's near. Do not turn in unbelief. Do not die in your sins, as he stated to them in chapter 8. Repent and believe the good news. Mark 1.15. Why? Because who Jesus is, is this Messiah, is this Christ. And that was the whole point of God revealing it to Peter In Matthew chapter 16, when Jesus said, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say you're John the Baptist or one of the other prophets. So he said, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, Thou art the Christ, Son of the living God. You see, they had wisdom standing right in front of them. And all they could argue about was where he was from and who he was. And they couldn't answer the basic question, will you come and drink from the waters of eternal life? Let's not lose the gospel in arguing over scripture and hashing out verses. If it doesn't come back to do you believe in Jesus Christ, then we're doing it wrong. Amen. That's the hope that we have. That's the hope that Christine had 
And that's the hope we need to be handing out to other people. That there's a well that is so vast that whoever will can come and drink. There's a promise so great and so lovely that if you would but believe, you can have eternal life. And these Pharisees were missing it. And Jesus was warning them, I'm only with you a little while longer. Then you're going to seek me and you won't be able to find me. Shame on us if that were us. I pray that we would repent and believe. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for the time that we had to come here. Lord, we ask that you would bless us, that you would keep us, that you would anoint us and help us to live our lives for you. Lord, we pray that you would help us as we go enjoy this fellowship meal, God, that you would bless us with your presence, bless this food to the nourishment of our bodies and our bodies for your service. In Jesus' name, amen.